He's retired from the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department, did 27 years in law enforcement, retired as a detective lieutenant. He worked almost every aspect of police work. His wife, also a police officer, was injured in a line of duty, a career-ending injury. He's here to talk about the violence, the trauma they encountered, and how it motivates him to help others today. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there are no other shows like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. Contacting us from the Tennessee area, we have Joe Towers on the phone. Joe's retired lieutenant, detective lieutenant with the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department. 27 years in law enforcement, 25 of those with Metro Nashville Police Department. He worked everything you can imagine. He was also served honorably in the United States Coast Guard, which we'll talk about in a few moments. And his wife, who was a police officer, was injured during an act of violence in the line of duty, a career-ending injury. He is heavily involved Besides being a dedicated husband and father, he works with his team at Hero Hunt, Inc. to serve our military, police, firefighters, and other first responders who've been injured in the line of duty at home and abroad. Joe, thanks for your service, and thanks for being guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Very much appreciated. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. I'm at the point now, I don't know about you, where I'm more comfortable when people say thanks for your service than before. Before that, I never knew how to answer that. Did you find it difficult? Oh, I still find it difficult. Um, uh, every time I I hear that, uh, it's it's rather humbling. It's, it's still a difficult response to, because I did what I was want, I did what I wanted to do, and I was doing what I wanted to do for the right reason. So it's almost odd that somebody thanks you for doing something that you were called to do. I get that thanks far more often now that I'm retired than I ever did on a job. But one of the things was I'd, I'd always discount what people said at first. Oh, it's not a big deal or whatever. Just doing my job. And then someone told me, said, you know, the, the proper response is thank you or you're welcome. Yeah, I'm learning that now uh, with some of the guys I've worked with, with the our, our injured uh, military, police and firefighter and first responders we deal with now because I'm very thankful to, for them because I feel like they've gone further and further above than what I did. And that's generally their response. Well, thank you. I tell people this, and I don't talk about my case very often, Joe. I, I was, my career was over at 33, and I got hurt in a shooting situation. Guy tried to shoot me with my service weapon while I was still in my hand, and I thought I sprained my wrist. I had multiple surgeries, multiple steel plates put in my right hand, and I was retired at 33, and my career was over. And sometimes, oh, wow. you know, in the very beginning, Joe, I'll, to be totally honest with you, I was resentful. I felt pushed aside. I felt like the job forgot about me. And then I began to change after a while and realized it came very close to being killed. And I'm grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful that the suspect's alive. I don't remember his name. I don't want to remember his name. But there was a time in my life when all those medals, all those awards and commendations meant a lot. Now the medals I have are the ones that carry with me 24-7, 365 in my hand. 
100%. I get that. <laughs> so I can only imagine some of the, the, the injured first responders you deal with, that there's got to be a big transition for them about what do I do now? Who am I now? My identity now. And you probably went through some of this as well when you're tired. And then it's how do you get a resentment of this is what happened to me? And now what do I do? That, that's a big part of it. Um, so I can, I can tell you from my wife being injured and having to retire because of her injuries. Um, you know, everybody says, Hey, we'll keep in touch. We'll do this. We'll get together. We'll have dinner, but everybody has businesses and, and their jobs and their families and their careers. And everybody has really good intentions, but obviously life takes over and people do their thing. And then, and then you're sitting there going, wow, um, I was in the middle of something. I had all these friends and, and we literally went to the darkest places of our areas that we operate, whether it's in the military or in law enforcement or as a firefighter, we go to these darkest places to operate to try to make people's lives better. And you're in legitimate life and death situations with these people. And then you, you know, you live that life for so long and then you're just on the sidelines. Um, when I retired and I saw that a lot with my wife, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a bitterful, it was a bitter time, but then it got better, you know, and it not bitter at the, the, the people or the officers or the, the com, you know, the comrades that you worked with or the agency, it's just the, the situation was, is bitter. When I retired, it was time. And, uh, you know, I, I was the guy that was on call 15 or 18 years of my career um, between narcotics, SWAT, homicide, violent crime, whatever, depending on where I was working at the time. And the day comes that you retired and you're used to carrying two phones and you've just got your personal phone and you look at your phone 30 times a day because you expect it to ring or somebody's going to call you and need something they don't. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to come to, to grips with um, you're not needed anymore and there's always somebody that can take your place. And, you know, it's just, uh, you're, just a, you're just a dude. You're just a, you're just a guy. And, and you were always just a guy. That's all we but were. Was, mind, we were a number. And I, 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 I'm not saying to be negative, one of the things I realized, and I do this all the time, in the shower of all places, my do I do my deepest thinking, and I don't do a lot of thinking out of it, and that takes a lot of practice, by the way, was that you know, life goes on, and particularly in police work and military, they got a job to do. And you're retired, you're gone for whatever reason, they still got their responsibilities, and you're almost an afterthought. Yep. A hundred percent. It's uh, it's even funny when I knew when I I knew when I was leaving. I went to uh, the command and I'm like, hey, this is uh, this is a really good guy. He'd be a really good, uh, you know, replacement. Uh, I've trained that you know, and and really at, at that point, they're going to do what they need to do that's best for them. And you're while you're finishing up your last couple weeks or month or so, you're really just kind of there trying to figure out what your next move is and where am I going to put all this stuff for my office or my car. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a transition. It's a, it's a really big transition from, from being a, feeling like you're, uh, in the center of the mix of everything going on to not. Yeah. So it takes, it, it's a big, it's a big career. It's a big, uh, transition is the word I guess I'm looking for. One of the things about being a police officer in my department, I'm sure it's the same with yours, is you had a role to do. You had a job to perform. And we knew our jobs, and it didn't matter how much chaos there was. It didn't matter how much trauma there was. We knew our job, and it's almost as if this is where I thrived. However, when that was all over, that's where the real problems began for me because when the sirens stopped, then it's just you and your thoughts. And that's a really bad neighborhood. Can you relate to that at all? 
Uh, absolutely, I can. Um, you know, you, you know, the, the the I think the thing that saved me the most is I retired, but I was going into another career, uh, the second chapter. Um, and it's still in the in the outdoor industry, but I still get to talk to and deal with uh, cops, you know, federal, state, and local around the country, um, working with some night vision thermal operations, uh, some equipment that we, for the company I work for now. And we're so, going to talk about that in a few moments. This is a law enforcement talk radio show. We're joined by Joe Towers, retired of Metropolitan Nashville Police Detective Lieutenant. When we return, we're going to talk about the incident where his wife, who was also a police officer, was injured in an act of violence, a career-ending injury. Ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show? Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. There is so much more heading away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there are no other shows like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. Turn a conversation with Joe Towers on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Joe is a retired Metropolitan Nashville Police Detective Lieutenant, 27 years in law enforcement. He is also one of the movers and shakers for Team Hero Hunt, Inc., serving military police, firefighters, and other first responders who've been injured in the line of duty at home and abroad. Their website is herohuntinc.org. Joe, you've been married for quite a while now haven't you yes sir 12 years uh, uh, been with my wife for 15 and your your wife was she's a retired police officer from metropolitan national police department as well yes sir she yes sir she is she got retired uh the career ending injury which we will talk about in a moment one of the things that my first marriage was to an emergency room nurse it's so stereotypical that that's what we do and one of the things that we really harped on was you don't get in relationships with people you work with and i'm sure that was something you and she were very much aware of in the police department as well weren't you oh 100 100 i uh actually i was running a flex team at one time it's they're, they're kind of like a violent crimes unit each precinct had one sergeant and six to address violent crime. And the thinking at the command staff at that time was uh, before or right after uh, recruit graduated the academy, they would ride for one month through one of the various flex teams in the city. And my wife ended up riding through mine. And um, I wasn't pleased with the idea of, of having a, a new officer because we were dealing with some higher end stuff. And 
kind of work that we did, very tight-knit unit, pretty much a hand-picked team. And then we start bringing in, you know, these uh, these these recruits come in. And, uh, yeah, I uh, wasn't happy about the idea. Uh, we didn't talk much. I put her with one of my best officers that she could learn the most from. Uh, she did her one-month rotation and then uh, graduated the academy and went out to the patrol division and another in another precinct. And honestly, I had no contact or even talked to her or saw her before another probably six or eight months. Isn't that funny? She worked for you under your chain of command, and you really weren't aware of who she was. No, I had no idea who she was. Um, honestly, you know, uh, I've always been very ambition and goal focused on what we're doing and uh and i even told her this at the time i saw it as a distraction not not her specifically but just having having to have these young recruits who haven't even been through a training process a field training program or anything coming out of the academy to to these units and it, it was a distraction and in my mind then uh, and probably still would be today i felt like it was a liability to my guys because they have to, they're not training officers and they're and they're having these young officers ride with them and you know they're not all young officers but having these officers ride with them uh and the kind of work that we were doing so it was it was a distraction one of the things that we had to do was really make sure that we were safe and then secondarily to make sure our side partner was safe and when you have a brand new i use the term rookie and we all started there it's not a negative thing but you don't know anything so a natural response is to make sure i'm okay but really focus on them and i can't do both at the same time and 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 watch myself right and that's that's the way it is um you know, and then and you know, and then there's there's not only survival things that you have to think about there. There's also, uh, you know, over and above their survival, there's there's civil litigation. There's, you know, you name it. If if the officer you're responsible for uh, or that you're training uh, doesn't make a good decision or out of inexperience makes a misstep, you know, there's consequences for that, and that generally falls on that officer and whoever's responsible for them. So there's, it's a, it's a lot of responsibility to do the job every day, but then to be responsible for someone else doing the job every day. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big load to carry. And you also have the, the, the pressure of being able to handle the corrections and the criticism without coming across as being overly negative. When I say that with, with rookies, a lot of times it was difficult to say, because we had to feel them out. Here's one of the things we did. I retired as a sergeant. So if we had a, a badly decomposing body, for example, Joe, we would call every rookie out of the academy to come in there and they'd have to learn how to handle these calls because it was part of policing. And almost right. all of them would get sick. Almost all of them, we'd have a few that would cry. And I remember when crying, physically crying he didn't want to go in and i'm like you are getting in this house and you are going to learn how to be a police and i remember as i think back now joe there was an old saying is that uh, the old timers would say to me is you're baltimore police you got a job to do so suck it up buttercup and do your job you can lick your wounds later on there's 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 no there's no crying in front of people you got a job to do go do it that's it, and that's the attitude that we had, hundred uh, percent. You know, you you know you were in it. You know you've been in the mix when you get in your car the next day and it still smells like a crime scene or uh, death. For, we used you to know, carry the for, cans for of Lysol in our patrol bags, and none of them would work. We'd put Vicks vapor rub in our noses. None of that stuff would work. The mustache would stink. Everything would stink. You come home and oh, you're yeah. like, I got to take a shower. I can't even talk to anybody. 
Uh, I was in the scene so badly, uh, so bad at one point. I had a brand new pair of boots, and um, uh, I had gone into the call out that night, and I actually got undressed on my side porch and threw everything in the trash. Yeah, yeah came, I, in, came in, took a shower. It, I mean, it's done. Look, as, as part of policing, that I don't think will ever go away. And I, I watch a little bit, a little bit of American-produced television police dramas not a whole lot mostly bbc content because they do a better job in my opinion of character development but one of the things my wife she's she's so good about this if they say they get a call for uh they've not seen this person for a long period of time and the scene is they're walking up to the the house and there's flies on the inside of the door or the windows and i'm going don't open the door it's going to be like a full frontal hitch in the nostrils you're gonna and uh, she she looks at me yelling at TV. She's like, "Relax, chill. It's not happening today." <laughs> yeah, that's the reality. I mean, I got to the point with you know working uh, or investigating crime scenes and homicides and, and death scenes that if it was a you know a check the welfare when I was in patrol more or less, I remember after one or two of those missteps of of opening a door, I would go to the mailbox first. Yeah. Or, or look at the and look at what the last date of the oldest mail was, or look at the newspaper on the front porch and figure out you know how many newspapers are there, and then the bot flies and everything else. It pretty much yeah, it's a it's a telltale if you're walking into a mess. And there's no way to get better at that. It's just to do it. There's there's really no way. And one of the things that I want to talk about the challenges of being a police officer nowadays are they've always been intense it's you've got to be a psychiatrist a psychologist a, a nurse an emt a firefighter a social worker you name it and you also have to solve crimes and some of these crimes are tremendously violent and i'm sure you encountered quite a bit of those yep absolutely um i think it was 2007 um, I was a sergeant and went to be a detective sergeant in one of uh, in South Precinct, which is at the time was one of our more violent precincts. Um, and it was it was all crimes, but what consumed most of our time were the were the homicides, ag assaults, uh, you know, violent crimes, aggravated robberies, that kind of thing. Uh, I did that for about seven years. I made lieutenant in thirteen, and then went and ended up being a lieutenant over investigations for another precinct again. I had a sergeant and six of narcotics, and then I had two sergeants and like 12 or 13 detectives working everything so from a stolen flower all. pot. We're going to return to our conversation with Joe Towers in just a few moments. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's J-A-Y at letradio.com. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Joe Towers, retired Metropolitan Nashville Police Department Detective Lieutenant, 27 years in law enforcement. He's also a Coast Guard veteran and heavily involved 
in Hero Hunt, Inc. to serve military, police, firefighters, and other first responders who've been injured in the line of duty at home and abroad. Their website is herohuntinc.org. I think, and I, I'm going out here on a limb. I don't think it's much of a limb. What you went through with your wife being injured in the line of duty during an act of violence, did that inspire what you do today with Hero Hunt? It, it did to a degree. Um, I've always had a desire to serve. Um, actually, before I met my wife, you know, I was in the military. Uh, my dad's prior military. My grand, Both my grandfathers fought in World War II. Uh, my dad is a 40-year retired law enforcement guy as well. My little brother is a SWAT and narcotics officer in another agency. My sister-in-law. So our whole family's police military. But I've always wanted to do something for the guys and girls who've been in the line of duty. And uh, God knows I've had my butt saved by a fire department before helping, you know, get our people moved where they need to go and, and taking care of them on the scene. So I didn't want to just do military and law enforcement. So that's why I incorporated the first gotcha. responders. Had actually looked at starting to try to do something like this back in 2010, 2009, and we were dating and there was, you know, you know none of this stuff had happened. Uh, fast forward, uh, Kim was working in South Nashville. Uh, I was a detective sergeant in South Nashville. Uh, two separate divisions, but we worked off the same the same radio frequencies, and they were sending her to a mentally unstable person, uh, female, uh, heavy set female, you know, heavier weight um, that was having some kind of um, episode, um, you know, some kind of a, a mental episode, and there wasn't a lot of car there weren't a lot of cars available for service, and she said, "I'll be in route," and I called her phone and I said, "Look, I'm not telling you what to do. You're grown, but." Uh, you might want to wait on another car. I said, even if I was going to that, I'd want another car because, you know, it's people like that can be a handful. Um, she did end up waiting for another car. Um, they were getting the young lady de-escalated and talking her down. And at some point, um, she lunged at my wife, grabbing her by the front of her, her vest panels. Um, Kim did what she should have done and, and gave a leg sweep to take her down. Well, most people will put their hands down to catch themselves and this girl didn't she just pulled Kim into the chest so they're face to face so Kim now this female suspect is they're face to face and parallel going to the ground and she threw her hands out to catch herself and when she did it ripped the ligaments out of her right hand her yeah. hand her, her, yeah. Her, yeah so we did uh, I don't remember how many months probably a year or better of you know a couple surgeries uh, physical therapy two or three days a week um, but with the loss of mobility and strength in that hand and, and being, you know, her, obviously her, her strong hand, um, it was ultimately decided for her to, uh, take a medical pension and, and take her out of the mix. Very similar to my injury, uh, the right hand. And to look at me, Joe, you wouldn't be able to notice. You'd have to look very closely. And, and I don't like the term physically handicapped. Oh, that's what they use because I'm able to do so right. much more. I do have a disability, but there's certain things that I can't do physically. and But I found a way to adapt and do other things. I'm sure it was, and being right-handed, there's still many things I don't, like I never wear tie shoes, shoes you have to tie, because tying a knot is just almost impossible. I'm still, there, I'm still sure that there are things that your wife, Kim, has difficulty doing. Oh, absolutely. Um you know, we, uh, my little boy, our little boy was born in 2012. And, um, even, I can even remember her putting him down, you know, in the, in the crib and like her wrist would just give out, you know, I mean, obviously he didn't, she didn't drop him, but, you know, uh, trying to feed him, you know, just some, some basic tasks that, 
that, that caused the issues that are still called, you know, they still cause issues. And, um, you know, and, and so this is the thing that, that I, that I caution people against, you know, people talk about, Oh, that person's not injured or this is not, you know, they're, they're not line of duty injured, but there's a lot of things that you got to consider when you're talking about line of duty injury. Um, the psychological and emotional trauma that that the job of being in the military law enforcement first responder will put on you. Um, you're seeing things that you're not supposed to see. You're doing things that normal people don't see or do every day. You know, you signed up for it. I get that. I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with that, but there's still a toll that's paid. There's still a cost to those things. Then you have the physical injuries. You can't see the broken bones that didn't heal. Right. The, you know, the, the shattered ankles that don't allow you to run anymore or the, the broken hips from police car wrecks. These are all things I see and have seen my whole career through my whole life because I've been involved in some some aspect of this career field since I was 17 and grew up in it, you know, as a, as a child. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go along with being injured um, that, that cause problems. Uh, you know, we, we, we've had officers that have been involved in critical incidents, shootings and, and stuff like that. And we'll say, man, just come, come with us for a weekend. Let's just, let's just have some decompression. Just go hang out and do what we do for the weekend. You know, those things go a long way from longer term, deeper seated, uh, issues from those type of situations that, that they have to be dealt with. Um, you know, every agency that I'm aware of is now pretty good about debriefings on critical incidents and, yeah. and, you know, and stuff like that. But, you know, they want to do a debrief in a short order of time and that's fine and good. But just because you had a 30 minute phone, uh, a 30 minute sit down with the department psychologist doesn't mean you're good to go. They just means you're okay to function and move forward. One so, of the things and, that and, we did, and I got to say this, that, that, as as an industry, we've gotten much better at the big things, the critical incidences. We we didn't have that term when I was policing. When I'm like community policing, that was what we did every day before it became a thing. But yep. critical incidents were no one ever talked about that. We didn't have officer involved shootings. We had shootings. We there's a lot of things that were different. But what I think is the industry is we've gotten much better at dealing with the big things, the Sandy Hooks, the Parkland, all those things. But it's the everyday grind that we don't pay attention to. And that's what takes a really deadly toll on our, our first responders. Oh, 100 percent. You know, it's there's something else I try to make people understand. They're like, oh, look at that fat cop or look at this, this fat fireman or look at this. I'm like, here's the thing that, that a lot of people don't see. You know, they don't see the um, 185 pound, you know, 12 percent body fat uh, recruits, young 22 year old strapping young man going through the academy and going to save the world. And and he doesn't see that either. But young 35 year old officer now with 10 or 12 years on the job working the afternoon shift, working three to 11 with a wife and kids with Tuesdays and Wednesdays off, which means he's spending most of his days in court. And he's working mandatory overtime because the shortage is out there now. Uh, And and he's getting held over for, you know, overtime shortages on other shifts. So this, this, these young kids are working, you know, and I can't say for every agency and I can't even say for RNC all the time, but for the majority, these young kids are working, you know, 12, 16, 18 hours a day and they have families to take care of and they, and they have to eat when they're working and they have to keep moving and they have quarter of their days off. When does that guy now have time to go to the gym? When does that guy have time to take 10 minutes for himself? Because if he has downtime, he's going to spend it with his family, and then he's going to get some sleep because he's going to go back in that grind tomorrow. 
And by the way, the nutrition aspect of it, we, we eat horribly. We eat horribly. Oh. We eat what's available. And I don't know about you, Joe. I shoved it down my throat so fast because I was jumping from call to call. We didn't even have long. We we're supposed to have a lunch break. So I watch these photos. I see photos nowadays of all these cops having lunch together at restaurants. I'm like, where do they work? We never had that. Yeah, no kidding. 100%. Yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm, I remember working. I've been I've worked motor scenes before and give a patrol officer you know fifty bucks and go hey man get yourself something to eat and bring me back you know twenty five hamburger whatever it is right you know whoever go bring a bunch of food back here for these guys you know or <laughs> we would or, eat or pizza have, and murder know. scenes whatever took just to try to well, I jokingly say to, to take the wrinkles out of of uh, out of my stomach because my belly button is touching my spine. And oh, 100%. things like getting a cup of coffee, all that stuff, and the old joke about donuts. I want to people to understand when we worked four to twelve and midnight, the only place that was open were convenience stores, donut shops, yep. and things like that. And they were the only ones who wanted us around. And so you you kind of out of necessity wind up eating those things. But I do love a good donut. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Return our conversation with Joe Towers in just a few moments. We'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return a conversation with Joe Towers. He's retired Metropolitan Nashville Police Department Detective Lieutenant, 27 years in law enforcement, also a Coast Guard veteran. He's one of the movers and shakers of Hero Hunt, Inc., serving military police, firefighters, and other first responders who've been injured in the line of duty at home and abroad. Their website is herohuntinc.org. I want to go back to our conversation. You're Detective Sergeant. You're, you're now, you're, your then wife, Kim, was a police officer in Nashville. She got a call for something that could go bad, and, and you reached out and said, hey, wait for backup, and it did go bad. Were, were you listening yep. to that on the radio? Were you aware of it happening? I was. Uh, actually, to be honest with you, I was working on, we were working a robbery case, and I was getting some information together. So my radio was on my desk kind of in the you know background chatter. You know how it is when you've been a cop yeah. for a long time. There's a lot of chatter, and then something will get your attention. Like something sound, you know, it, and something kind of got my attention. And one of my guys came in and goes, "Hey, uh, Kim's going to, you know, potential, uh, you know, bad call." And I'm so I start listening. So I just I think I sent her a text. Actually, I may have called her, but I'm like, you know, hey, this is a call that you know two officers should be on. I'm not telling you what to do. You have a sergeant. You have somebody to listen to. But I'm just telling you, I'm trying to give you some advice. Uh, for, for that, I would give to anybody, uh, and and she and she did wait for another officer, uh, and it did go bad, even with two officers there. Thank goodness there was another officer there, but that's when she was injured. Look, look I, I got to tell people, I'm a bit old fashioned. I'm protective of my wife. I'm protective of my daughters, and I didn't want anybody that worked with me or under me to get hurt ever. But there was part of, of my human instinct that I really wanted to protect the female officers because in my mind, and incorrect as it may be, they seemed more vulnerable. And part of it is, 
one of my biggest beefs with police work nowadays is that when I started, we had, we called an S-Bantoon, a big nightstick. And we, we mm-hmm. used it to keep people a distance. And if we needed to clock someone with it, we did. If you had to go hands-on, that usually meant fist it, or closed, closed hand or open hand striking, whatever it was. Nowadays, it's about grappling. And while it's great to get them on the ground when your wife did the leg sweep, I know they're trained to do that. I almost think, man, if they had the big old honking table leg nightstick, she'd still be still be okay. Do you ever you know, feel that way? Think, yeah, well, you know, the thing was with this is they, they had gotten a situation there. The individual somewhat calmed down and started to de-escalate, and she had a close-covered officer uh, that was there um, with her off the side of the suspect. Um, but when the suspect lunged, um, it was more or less they were at almost the point of escorting her to a car, uh, not in custody because it was not a criminal law that had been broken. It was more of a, a mental health crisis. Right, right. And they were starting to ease her toward a car, um, and that's when the young lady lunged at her, and they locked up. So it, it went pretty quick. Um, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020. God knows there's a hundred different times I would have changed my approach or my uh, technique or tactic over the years, but would they always say coulda, shoulda, woulda? If I and I, yep. I hate this about police. I, and I trust me when I say I love police, I really do. But when we have a bad situation, a tactical situation, there's always these armchair experts say, "Well, if I was there, I'd have done this." And my response oh, yeah. usually is, "You weren't there, so shut it." Yeah, that's it. That's it. And you know, you know, you can. And that's what kills me, too, when people see uh, a response from a law enforcement officer or an agency around the country. They see the worst five seconds. They don't see what happened up to that point and what happened after that. They show them the inflammatory, and and they'll gas up that five-second video with the what is, could is, what ifs without having any real background on the story. And then that gets everybody, you know, upset and, 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 you know, unhinged and everything else without getting the whole story out there because that sells airtime. That sells media. That sells, and, and, and they know it. And I think that's really good with a lot of agencies now. Their PI, their public information officers, are getting in front of stuff on the scene and getting to. information out immediately. You have to because if you don't, the story's going to write itself by someone else. It'll be the narrative. Well, we if have. you don't control the narrative, someone else will, and they'll control in a way that that it doesn't look good for you. And and the big question for a lot of our boots on the ground law enforcement is, you don't have my back. If you don't have my back, why am I doing this? Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. And, um, you know, I, I, I was I was bitter initially about body cameras here, but the reality of it is the officers, because as a supervisor, I ended up reviewing a lot of videos, and, you know, you'd have a, some horrendous complaint come in, and you'd watch the video and go, no, that didn't happen. Right. Well, how do you know? Well, I just watched his audio and video, and you're lying, you know? You're not you're not being truthful, because you didn't get what you wanted. You thought lying or following, a, a, you know, a a crazy complaint right. was going to make your charges go away. That was the first line so, of defense the defense attorneys in, in Baltimore would do. The drug attorneys make a, a complaint of excessive force and discourtesy. And our department generally didn't, when it's proven to be a false report, they didn't do anything about it. Right. That's the reality and, and that's of the way it happened. And, and, and you know, if these law enforcement officers would start you know, filing false report charges against people who lie, blatantly lie about the officers. But I get it. They don't want to feel like, well, we don't want people to feel like that they're going to be, you know, there's somebody's going to come after them or they're, they're going to, uh, you know, 
go, go after them in a mean manner because they might have complained to the officer. Somebody needs to be complaining. They're not doing their job properly. They're, or they're being verbally or physically abusive. They need to be off the street. Well, the ones that got promoted in our department usually the ones who never showed up. Or they showed up when all the bad stuff happened, was over, and they never got complaints. And, and that's the reality. So they don't know the ugly side of policing. And, and by the way, I was anti-body cam for a very long time as well. But now I would never do the job without it. Without it. Because it, was, it would have immediately cleared me from 99.9% of all the discourtesy complaints. So when I say that one-tenth of a percent, we were trained in a term called verbal judo. We would use yep. colorful language. We'd use anything to talk people down away from use of force options because the first line of defense is always your brain, not your biceps. I got to change directions a little bit. Uh, You got uh, this organization called Hero Hunt. What do you do? So we get a lot of duty injured police, fired military together. Um, As people apply, we have rosters uh, and we take them on hunting and shooting and some fishing events Um, Pretty much in the southeast, um, but we have gone pretty much all over the country at this point. Um, Basically, people apply with us. If it's a law enforcement or a first responder, obviously we vet vet the people that come to the program. Uh, We have a a retired first sergeant from the Army who uh, was injured in an IED attack, and he uh, vets our military uh, applicants. And once we vet them, then we have a, you know, a phone call with them for 30 minutes to an hour, just kind of get an idea where their head's at, what, what their interests are, what their capabilities are. And then we start trying to find an event that we already have in our venue to plug them into an event to get them out and, and back with like-minded people. Um, a lot of what we do is going to be uh, like like the hunting community and, and, and the fishing community. We, we've had guys come in. We, some of our events are as big as 30 people and some of them are as big as five. It depends on you know what the venue is. We've had guys come in on a Friday afternoon and you can tell they're extremely uncomfortable and they're buttoned up and they're you know, they're kind of off their self. And then guys who have been in the program or the, one of the ambassadors will saddle up next to them, talk to them, kind of break the ice a little bit. And by Sunday, people are swapping stories and phone numbers and they're, they're you know, exchanging, you know, family information and getting together and going and doing stuff outside the program, which basically this is designed to get these young men and women, and not even all of them are young. I mean, I'm 51 and God knows. That's I've a got youngster, by the way, Joe. You're a pup compared to a geezer like me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I appreciate that, but I feel like I've been rode pretty hard and put up wet. But um, it, it gives them an outlet instead of getting in their own head for too long. If they if they know that they need a place to sit back and 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 fall back and and have some support, they've got it. And then uh, it gives them stuff to look forward to throughout the year. Last year we did 32 events, seven states, uh, with about 300 um, injured police, fire, military folks filling slots on those events i I Um, appreciate you doing that so much one of the questions i got to ask is is so many nonprofits and charities say that fundraising is the other f word how difficult is it for you it's 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 uh it's extremely difficult we've done everything from washing cars and parking lots to selling t-shirts um thank god this is we've got some really phenomenal support with some other sponsors um who vetted us very heavily, which and they should. Anybody who's going to donate to a nonprofit should bet where their money's going. They should have a relationship with the people who are running the organization. Um, but now we've got two or three main sponsors that actually help fund the majority of what we do. Uh, anything over and above that helps us grow the program. But And if someone um, wants to help out financially, just go to your website, herohuntinc.org. 
Yes, sir. Um, they can they can find us there. There's information on how to donate there. Um, and just so your listeners know, nobody in our organization gets paid. Uh, there's seven board members. Unfortunately, we just lost a board member um, back in the um, back in the fall. But uh, nobody in this organization gets paid. Everybody's on this. Joe, I appreciate uh, the magnitude of that. And please tell all of them I said thank you very much. Thank you for your yes, service, sir. and thanks for being guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Very much appreciated. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.